Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Okay, I'd like to welcome everyone out to the Tuesday night Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and let's date stamp this recording. Tonight is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2016. Unless you happen to live on my side of the world. I live in Asia, and uh, today it's Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016. It's actually about 10 in the morning. But we'd like to welcome everyone out who can join us. You're welcome to meet with us every Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we meet live on the internet via Wiz, uh, I'm sorry, via yeah, WizIQ, which is a webinar software. So um, if you like details on joining us every Tuesday evening for the Galatians study, uh, you're certainly welcome to go to my website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And you can find information about the live class. There's usually a banner along the very top that says Live Internet Study. Uh, you can click on that and get details. Or you can click on the Galatians commentary and just scroll down through the page and find the details there. Sign up and join us live each Tuesday evening from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Let me open in prayer, and then I'll entertain some liturgy, and then we'll get started into the study tonight. Let's pray. Avinu, Malkenu, our Father, our King, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for sending your Son, Yeshua, the Messiah. We thank you that, Lord, your words are true. Your covenants are are faithful. And we know, Father, that as we press in, as we avail ourselves of your words and of your truths and of your promises, Father, we know that you are faithful, that you will send your Spirit into our midst to remind us of the words that we're reading, to, to, to hide them deep in our heart. Father, like the psalmist said, that we might not sin against you. We know, Father, that as we continue to press in to be a people of God, that we're going to encounter opposition. And so for that reason, Lord, we seek to wear the armor of Ephesians chapter 6. Lord, we want to put on the belt of truthfulness, the breastplate of righteousness. We want to have our feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. We want to take up the shield of faith so that we can quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. We want to put on the helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And Father, that secret weapon that's mentioned in the passage, the 
praying at all times in the Spirit. Father, it is in this way as we put on the armor that we will take our stand against the adversary. And having done all to stand, Paul says, let us stand firm, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we take it seriously, this call to live a righteous life, to be a people of God, to be, as Peter says, to be holy as you are holy. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this awesome responsibility, but that you are not leaving it to us to... to um, to do it on our own, but that you promised, Lord, that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And so, Lord, we look to you to be with us. Thank you for this uh, endeavor, for this book of Galatians, for um, strengthening Paul to write it, and for the Holy Spirit to preserve it, and for our opportunity to study it. Uh, give us the capacity to retain that which we learn, Give us a desire, a passion to press forward with practical application because we don't want to just study for academia's sake. As Ezra said, we want to study in order to do. And in so doing, we can also teach others. And So thank you, Lord, that you are challenging us to study in order to do, in order to teach. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise for all these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Um... This is Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel, as I mentioned, and by now we are in week 15, and we are just charting a way through my commentary. It's about 122 pages, and I don't imagine that we're going to get through all 122 pages in a short amount of time. So for that reason, I've chosen to break this study up into hour-long teachings every week, and we just go... 10 weeks on, and then we take a two-week break, and then we start teaching for 10 weeks again, and then we take a two-week break. So each semester is 10 weeks long, and then we take a break for two weeks. And I encourage you as students to take the two-week break, not just to relax, of course, but to go back through the, the studies that you missed. You're always welcome to pick up the um, written material by going to my uh, website at tatesatora.com and clicking on the Galatians study, and you can either print or view the PDF document there. Or, if you're only auditing and listening to the audio recordings via iTunes or via your podcast, your, your uh, um, iPod or whatever, your MP3 device, or you're just listening to it live on the internet, um, or listening to it after the fact on the internet, then... Um, during the uh, two-week break, I, I recommend as a teacher that you go back and maybe listen to recordings that you missed, or go back and listen to the recording, that way you can stop and pause and look up references and things like that. So, By the way, if you are um, wanting to uh, get caught up on past recordings, you can also do so by going to my website, and when you click on the Galatians um, link from the top, then scroll down through the page and you'll find uh, a link that mentions the live class. And then from there you'll find another um, link that mentions the audio recordings. And that's where I park each audio recording after I edit it uh, each week, usually about 24 hours after I've recorded it. With that, let's go ahead and jump into some liturgy, and then I'll explain where we're at in the studies. So if you're in the live class with me... Um, Let's jump over to read a passage out of the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, 
and with its corresponding Hebrew, and then we'll read a passage out of the New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures with its corresponding Greek. Okay, for my Hebrew selection, I'm sorry for my um, Old Testament selection. I'm going to read Deuteronomy six, and I'm going to read all. I'm going to read verses one through one through nine. Normally, the Shema, which is familiar to uh, Jewish communities, is uh, verses four through nine. But I want to back up and get a context, a running context, and I'll explain why I'm reading this liturgy passage this time. But I want to read um, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. I'm just going to read it out of the English Standard Version, which is kind of my preferred um, everyday reading version as I'm just perusing through and, and um, uh, gleaning whatever I can from the Word at the time. Not, not for serious study, per se, but just for everyday use, ESV kind of works for me. So uh, follow along with me if you're in the uh, live class and just watch the screen and I'll read there for you. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 reads, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, let's jump over to the Hebrew of that. If you're in the live class, you'll see that I've got the Hebrew pulled up. And this time, instead of just having the Hebrew text, on the same website that I've been pulling these resources from, I went ahead and just copied what is called the interlinear, which means if you're looking at the screen right now, there is where my little arrow is pointing at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 6. There's the Hebrew and then above and below the Hebrew, which is reading right to left, remember Hebrew reads this way. Um, above and below what you're seeing on the screen, there is the Strong's number up here, which unfortunately this is just a, a PDF copy. If this were on the live internet screen, everything in blue would actually be hyperlinked, where I could click on that Strong's number and look up the original Hebrew word, the root word. And then immediately below that, there is what's called transliteration, which is supposed to be like the Hebrew as it's uh, copied over into uh, Latin characters, so that supposedly you should be able to read that if you can follow along with the transliterated vowel sounds, uh, vowels and consonants. And then below that, from top to bottom, we have the actual Hebrew text there. And then below that, there is a word-for-word -word translation rendered right underneath the interlinear. And what ends up happening is that it causes the English to be wooden, meaning it's out of, um, it's out of, uh, what's the word we say? It's not, um, it's not smoothed out. 
uh, the syntax is what the word I was looking for. The syntax is wooden, so that um, if we were to just read the uh, English translation that is right under the Hebrew translation, then the syntax comes out sounding like Yoda. It's kind of backwards, uh, at least foreign to our English ears. So uh, that's what I've got for you. And then right below that, if you're still looking at the screen, there's the part of speech that each word falls under. So um, I thought this would be an interesting difference for those of you who are following along with me in the live class. I'm just going to read the Hebrew, so I'm going to start right there. And um, if you are so bold as to try it, if you can't read the Hebrew and you're in the live class with me, if you want to try and follow along, where it says, Wazot Hamishwah Hahukim Wehamispatim things like that. Uh, I don't know if that'll be helpful to you or not, but for those of you who can't read Hebrew, supposedly this uh, transliteration above the Hebrew is supposed to help you out, but it doesn't help me because I can actually read the Hebrew and the transliteration doesn't really fit my style, but I'll go ahead and read the Hebrew for you. Uh, verse 1 reads, V'zot hamish... I'm sorry, let's start over. V'zot hamitzvah hachukim v'hamishpatim asher tziva Adonai Elohekem Lamed etchem la asot beerts asher atem overim shema la rishta. Verse 2 Lemaan tira et Adonai Elohecha Lishmur et kol hakukim hakukotai umishpotai asher anoki mitzavecha. Let me scroll up here a little bit. And continue right there. Ata uvincha uvein bincha kol yime chayecha ulmaan va'arch. What does that say? Ya'archun. And let's jump down here. We're still in verse 2, so we're starting right there. Yamecha. And starting in verse 3. V'shamarata Yisrael v'shamarata la'asot. Asher yitar yitav lacha va asher tirbun meod ka asher diber adonai elohe avotecha lach erts vachalav udvash. Starting in verse 4. And this part in verse 4 is, let's scroll the screen up. Um, verse 4, 5, and 6 are very familiar because they're where most, most uh, messianics. Uh, Torah-observant Jews and Gentiles are going to pick up their recitation of the Shema. And so verse 4 reads, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. If I were to point the arrow for you and read a little slower, read, read here, Shema, uh, maybe I can put it under, uh, Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And I'm saying Adonai, but really the text says Yahweh or Yahovah, uh, however you want to... Um, approximate the Hebrew there. I say Adonai since it's uh, just simply uh, uh, easier for me, and that's kind of the way I was brought up, and I'm uh, trying to be a little more respectful of Torah-observant Jews who prefer not to pronounce the name. It's not that I don't, that I fear pronouncing the name, but Yahweh is kind of what I say when, when I'm in my personal prayer time, and I'm trying to be a little more intimate with God. But when I'm just reading liturgy, in a public forum, I usually uh, jump over to Adonai, so I hope you guys are okay with that. Adonai, let's start with verse 5. V'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha b'kol levavcha u'v'kol nafshecha u'v'kol me'odecha. 
Verse 6, V'hayu hadavarim ha'ele asher. Let's scroll down. Here. Anochi mitzavcha hayom al levavecha. Verse 7. V'shinantam levanecha v'debarata bam b'shivtaka b'vetaka v'lechtaka v'aderek v'shach v'chav kumecha. Verse 8. Uk shatartam laot al yadacha vahayu la totofot bain einecha. And verse 9, Uchtabtam al mezuzot betakovisharecha. Okay, that's our liturgy from the Tanakh. Let's jump into the Apostolic Scriptures. This is Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. It reads out of the ESV For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, sorry about that, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And that, of course, we know is a quote from uh, Habakkuk. Verse 12, But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Alright, let's go back and read those same four verses in the Greek. Um, again, if you're in this uh, live class with me, same idea. We've got from top to bottom, um, like I'll pick on this line here, We've got the uh, Strong's numbers, which if this were the web page, we could actually click on the numbers, like the first, the word here I'm looking at here, Biblio, uh, I could click on it and it would give me the root word, Biblios or Biblos or whatever the Greek uh, root word is there, uh, underlying the uh, parsing of the Greek here. Uh, so the first, uh, the top entry there is the Strong's number. And then when we drop down, we've got a transliteration of the Greek. So it says Biblio, and then we, when we go down to this next line, we've got the actual Greek text itself, and then when we drop down one line, uh, we've got the English translation, and then when we drop down below that, we've got the part of speech. In this case, it's noun, and then it, the DNS stands for uh, the mood uh, and the uh, nominative, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember what the DNS stands for there. I'll have to click on the live website to see what that is. But if you're following along, <clears throat> if you're following along with me, Greek reads right, I'm sorry, reads uh, left to right, like we're used to reading in, in English. So this will be a little easier. So I'm going to start over here uh, in verse 10. Uh, and this will be interesting because if you're reading along with me and you can kind of chart your way through the transliteration, you can kind of follow along with what I'm reading which is kind of nice. I'll just park it there. Uh, maybe park over here, because I think it has my name under there, which is blocking part of what you're saying. All right, so our uh, Greek says, Hosoi gar ex ergo namu, eisen hupo kataran, eisen gegraptai gar hati, epikataratas, pas has uk emene, pasin tois gegramanois, en to biblio, tu namu tu poiesai auta. Verse 11, Hati de en namo, udes de kaiutai para to theu de lun, hati ho de kaios ek pistios zesetai. 
verse 12. Let me scroll down a bit here for you. Verse 12 reads, Ho de namas uk estin ek pistios, I'm sorry, pistios, al hopoiesis alta zesetai in altois. And verse 13 reads, scroll down a bit. Verse 13 reads, Christas uh, hemas exgorasin, ek tes karatas tu namu, genamenas hupor hemon katara hati. And let's scroll. Hati gegraptai. Is that right? Yes. Gegraptai. Epicataratas pas ho cranamanas epi xulu. Verse 14. Hina eis ta ethne he euglogia tu Abraham genetai. En Jesu Christo hina ten evangelion. Tu pneumatas labomen dietes pistios. Okay, that's our Greek for tonight. Oh, uh, let me, uh, for those of you who are following along the live class, let me show you something real quick. Um, for instance, remember how I was saying that um, if you take a word-for-word -word translation, this is why the translators have to smooth out the original. Uh, since you're following along with me, those of you who are in the live class, if you look at the Greek here, um, I'll just park my pointer there, where we have hosoi gar ex ergo, let me see if I can slowly go on, hosoi gar ex ergon namu asin hupo kataratan, I'm sorry, kataran asin gegraptai gar hati. And I realize there's probably a little bit of a lag time as I read it for those of you who are following on live classes because I'm in Asia and you're in America or wherever else you're following along. Um, my arrow's not moving exactly as I'm speaking, but I apologize. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is uh, if you look at the red, so, so we got the black is the Greek, the black font is the Greek. If this is in color on your computer, right? I hope it's in color. Um, and right under the black Greek text, we've got the red. So if we were to read the read, which is the translation that reads like this. Verse 10 reads, As many as indeed of works of law are, under a curse are, it has been written indeed, cursed is everyone who not does continue all things having been written in the book. <laughs> Isn't that kind of odd? So it's interesting as we're following along, as we study the Bible, and it gives us, in my opinion, a great appreciation for those who have to translate the Greek over into an English receptor language or whatever receptor language that they find it translated into, whether it be English or whatever your, your own home uh, native language is. In my case, it's English is my native language. And I happen to be able to also read Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, Koine Greek, that is, and uh, Korean. So, with all these other languages that I'm juggling in my head, I have a great appreciation for translators' work and for the, the, the enormous task that it takes to go from an original language down into a receptor language. Because you have to try to smooth out the syntax, you have to try, try and determine what is the best word to choose from a pool of words that might carry different nuances or different shades of meaning uh, to any given word. And so, it you know... I'm not trying to mock the task of the translator in any way. So I hope you all can appreciate, as I do, 
Uh, in fact, uh, doing what we just did for the Greek, let's jump into the Hebrew for a split second and, and look at the same um, thing. Uh, we just read the Shema, uh, for instance. Let's go back up and start with, uh, let's look at verse 4 here. Um, if you can look at the screen, you'll see I'm parked over here in verse 4, where it says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. In the red text that's underneath the Hebrew, it says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, Lord is one. Um, and then verse 5, And you shall love the Lord your God. And then down here, uh, With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And verse 6, And shall be words these, that. So you see the... Um, the the translation underneath the original isn't always the way we'd see it. The, the word order, which is what I mean by when I say syntax, the word order isn't always the same. And so the translators have to smooth those things out. But, but owing to the fact that the original Hebrew or Greek, the writer who wrote what he wrote, it's not simply that his language is a different syntax than ours, which when I say ours, I'm meaning English, Rather, sometimes the word order, which is what syntax refers to, word order, which words go in which order, sometimes the syntax is trying to emphasize a different part of the text. And so sometimes the writer will purposely choose which words fall in which order because that's, there's an emphasis to what he's trying to convey in his writing. And when we as translators take that word order, that syntax, and we smooth it out in our translation from the original language down into our own receptor language, and we change the word order, sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes, we as the translators, we lose the force of the word order in the original. And that's why it becomes helpful as Bible students to be able to have the original text in front of us and to be able to be, I'm not saying we all have to be Hebrew or Greek students, what I am saying, however, is that we need to be comfortable enough to be able to spot some of the textual variants, or I'm sorry, not textual variants, the, the textual discrepancies that lend to the fact that we have to translate from an original language down into a receptor language. And so those, those go a long way towards Bible study. And so I encourage you as uh, students of the Word to engage in studies of the original language as best as you can. And that's that's what I've done as, as, a, as a Bible teacher, as a Torah teacher, is to try and familiarize myself enough with the, with the originals so that I can, when I'm listening to a translation or when I'm reading through the, my English, you know, ESV or David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible or, or the Tree of Life by version or, or KJV or whatever your flavor of translation is, as you're reading through that, stop and ask yourself every now and then, I wonder what the original Hebrew or Greek is behind that. And then ask a second question. Not only what is the original root word behind the translation, but is there a possible um, emphasis that might be placed on why the words are in the order that they are, or things like that. So, in other words, get curious with the text and try and try and ask yourself i'm not saying don't doubt the translate i'm not saying doubt the translators don't do that so let's keep going in our study um what i want to do real quick is uh just back up for five minutes and um explain context 
uh, where we're at in the study. Um, this is called Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic-Jewish commentary, and what I've done is we're in week 15. And, um, oops, I don't want to do that. For those of you who are following along the class, what I'm doing is I'm opening up the table of contents to the commentary so that you can kind of see where we are, where we've been going, and where we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, the table of contents uh, to this commentary is broken down into a preface, an introduction, and then there are 12, um, 12 topical sections, uh, numbered 1 through 12. And then after the 12 topical sections, there are the six chapter studies, the verse-by-verse the, the -verse section where I go somewhat verse-by-verse. -verse. Not all the verses in Galatians are hit, but um, the, the verses that are relevant to heated discussions between traditional Christian interpretations of Galatians and the new um, uh, messianic uh, uh, interpretations of Galatians. In other words, um, the traditional Christian church has their view of Galatians and uh, interpretation and application. And then if you attend a messianic congregation, messianic synagogue, or you are a Jewish person who still attends traditional synagogue, but you have come to faith in Messiah, um, you're, you're probably going to be reading through the book of Galatians with a, a maybe a perhaps a slightly different um, interpretation and application of the book of Galatians. And the line of demarcation between the two groups that I'm describing, the traditional Christian church on the left, on my left hand as I'm, as I'm uh, imagining it, and the the somewhat traditional Messianic Jewish or Messianic um, community view on my right hand here. As I'm describing these two groups that are both Christians or they're both believers, so this is really an in-house discussion that we're having here. If, if, you, if you're not catching it, if you've been following along with me for 14 weeks and you haven't picked this up yet, and this is week 15 and you're still scratching your head and wondering what I'm describing... The line of differentiation, the line of disagreement between the two groups is usually on the interpretation and application of the Torah. It's usually not a disagreement on who is Jesus, what does he mean to us as believers, how do we attain eternal life in, in the, how do we join the family of God? It's usually not a disagreement along those lines. In other words, it's not a salvific disagreement. And so, uh, where we're at in our study in week 15 is that we've already gone through the preface where we talked about 10 common questions regarding Torah observance for Gentile Christians. And I discussed uh, these 10 common objections to my premise that the Torah is not done away with. To my a position that I believe that the Torah should be a relevant part of the lifestyle of a Christian. In other words, we should be keeping the Sabbath, we should be keeping kosher, we should be keeping the festivals, we should be having our children circumcised, and the Torah of Moshe is an important part of the lifestyle of a believer, in my understanding. And so I address ten common um, objections from a traditional Christian, usually Gentile, perspective on the Torah and attempted to answer those questions. And then we moved into a brief introduction to the book of Galatians and my commentary. And then we moved into a, for the next one, section one, section two, section three of my commentary where I did the topical studies. 
Section one was entitled Brit Milah, which is a Hebrew phrase which means covenant of circumcision, and where we kind of introduce this idea of circumcision as it is relevant and important to our study in the book of Galatians. And then we moved into section two, which is called Ouch Factor, Why the Male Reproductive Organ, where we continued our talk about circumcision and turned towards uh, asking a relative question, why did God ask Abraham to have himself circumcised in that particular spot? Why the why that particular place on the body? In other words, what does circumcision of the um, male reproductive organs speak to? Why, why that place? And then we moved into section three, proselyte conversion works of law, part one, understanding the background, which was really a kind of a, 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 a semi-conclusion to our study on circumcision in parts one and two. And here's what I uh, was um, attempting to get across to the, you, the students. And the, the point is this. Um, circumcision itself becomes a, an important topic as you enter into a study in the book of Galatians because circumcision in the minds of the first century recipients of a letter to the book of Galatians, as well as the, the, the um, topic of circumcision in the mind of Paul, the author of the book, uh, bears the careful Bible students' careful attention. It bears relevance to us, not because we want to become preoccupied with circumcision. Don't get me wrong. That's not why I focused on circumcision for those first three sections and why I spent so many weeks talking about it. But the reason we highlighted it is because, in a word, the ceremony of circumcision and the identification as a circumcised member of Israel in the first century was being offered up to God as a status of righteousness. It was being it was it was presumed by many first century Jews that the very act of being circumcised or the very um the fact that they were circumcised as, as babies and that they entered into the community of Israel as a circumcised person, it became a, a status symbol for many Jewish people. Circumcision itself became a status symbol. We already know that circumcision became the sign of the Abrahamic covenant because we can read about that in Genesis chapter 17. And that's from God's perspective. But what becomes often missed in or relaxed or... Um, suppressed in many uh, studies to the book of Galatians, and these would be from standard Christian perspectives, is that circumcision was not only a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, but that circumcision had become misused in the first century. By Paul's day, circumcision was describing covenant membership. Circumcision was describing Jewish identity. For males and females, by the way, even though females cannot be physically circumcised, female Jewish members of Israel were still being described under the, the label circumcised. So that it became a metonym. It became a way to describe a Jewish person. And indeed, as we read through the, the New Testament writings, we find that Paul and many of the other writers, Luke in the book of Acts, etc., use this term circumcised or the circumcision faction, etc. They use it as a metonym or a stand-in word to describe Jewish identity or Jewish people as a whole. And in one sense, there's nothing wrong with that. It's an innocent use of the description or use of the word circumcision. But um, hidden beneath the description of calling Jewish people the circumcised ones, hidden beneath that 
was this this kind of this superstitious belief within the Jewish community, and we gain this by reading through the rabbinic writings and through uh, other historic writings that have survived from the first century, Josephus, um, Philo, um, some, of the, uh, some of the other deuterocanonicals, such as the uh, Pseudepigrapha and the Apocryphal writings, etc., as well as the Dead Sea Scrolls. All of these ancient writings, as well as the uh, early patristic writings, the early um, Christian writings that were starting to emerge from the first few centuries after the destruction of the first, uh, after the destruction of the uh, temple in 70 AD. All of these ancient writings kind of lend uh, support to the idea that within the Jewish milieu of the first century of Paul's day, that the Jewish people were, were uh, kind of wielding their status as circumcised people. They were, they were using this status symbol as their entry point into the covenants made with God, and they were hoping and believing and teaching others, both Jews and Gentiles, that to be a member in Israel, one had to be circumcised, or at least from a male perspective they do. If you were a female, you found your identity within the uh, household of a male, whether it be your father, who was a Jewish male, or your husband, who was a Jewish male, or you were married into it, is my point. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we went through the circumcision uh, teachings so prominently. And I want you, the, the careful Bible student, as you're reading through the book of Galatians, to keep that view underneath um, the text as you're reading through the text. Keep in mind, as you're reading through the book of Galatians, that part of the challenge to Paul as he interacted not only with the communities in Galatians, that he also interacted with his own existing Jewish communities. You have to keep in mind that from his perspective in the first century, 2,000 years ago, that circumcision was circumcision was um, circumcision was challenging faith in Messiah for genuine entrance into the covenant. And so, from Paul's perspective, he has the difficult task of taking the importance of circumcision as it is portrayed in his own Bible, in the Tanakh, and, how do we say, putting it in its place, giving it its proper perspective in the, in the biblical narrative. At the same time, he has to caution the Jewish communities of his day, which would include the newly emerging Gentiles who are coming into or flooding into Israel via uh, faith in Messiah. He has to begin to caution the Jewish communities, the Torah community, I should be saying, not the Jewish communities. He has to be able to, he has to begin to caution the Torah communities against overemphasizing the nature and the importance of circumcision. Are you guys following along with me so far? So, on the one hand, Paul doesn't uproot circumcision the way the, the, the historic Christianities have traditionally taught. Paul did not uproot circumcision because that would mean that Paul was uprooting Torah commands, and we know that that's not what Paul had the authority to do. Nobody has the authority to uproot the Torah. The Torah is God's eternal word, and neither Jesus nor Paul did away with Torah nor taught others to do away with Torah. That is a hermeneutic principle that we have to approach the text from, first and foremost. So that's why I talked about circumcision so prominently. So having said all that, I've got five minutes to actually introduce the uh, study for tonight. And so, if we go now over, if you're in the live study, you'll see that tonight's study is entitled 
uh, section four, covenantal nomism. And really, I guess all I'm going to be able to do is to kind of give you an introduction to this concept known as covenantal nomism. And then next week, we'll just start into the uh, uh, notes. So to, uh, for the last five minutes in the class, since I, had, I, I have to stop as a teacher and go back and, and build a context for what we're talking about, because it's easy as adults to fall behind, and it's easy to get lost. And uh, I don't want to lose anyone. My purpose is not to just go forward. My purpose is actually to learn and to retain and to be able to do some practical application. Amen. So I've introduced this topic known as covenantal nomism. And these two fancy, fancy phrases, essentially, if you were to look them up in the dictionary, uh, I think most of you already know what covenantal refers to. It's rooted or related to our word for covenant. Um, you know, we know in the Bible that there are several covenants that are outlined for us. We've got the Abrahamic covenant, we've got the Mosaic covenant, we've got the Messianic covenant, etc., etc. But this word nomism is the word that throws many people off. What does nomism refer to? Well, nomism is an English word that's related to the Greek word namos. And the Greek word namos is what we, def what we translate as the word law. So nomism is a word that's related to a religious system or a system of religion or a lifestyle that is rooted in law-keeping or rooted in um, commandment-keeping. It's rooted in the namos. So when we say covenantal nomism, we're describing a law-keeping, a namos, a system of keeping the law that is rooted or related to uh, our relationship to the covenant. In other words, um, covenantal nomism, which is a term that was uh, uh, coined by uh, E.P. Sanders uh, back in, I believe it's 1977, when he uh, released his um, book known as... Um, Paul and Palestinian Judaism, and we're going to talk about this in weeks to come. So don't worry if I'm if it seems like I'm going too fast. Now, this phrase covenantal nomism becomes very important for us as we're studying the Book of Galatians. Indeed, as we study through the first century Judaisms and the first century communities of Jews and Gentiles who were coming together and dialoguing with one another two thousand years ago, and covenantal nomism will begin to um, give us an inside look into how did the first century Jews and Gentiles interact with one another in regards to this topic of law, in regards to this topic of covenantal law-keeping. If I were to um, um, begin to entertain this um, topic and this discussion about Galatians, as a Bible student, I would want to know what does Paul think about the law? What's Paul's view of the law? What's Paul's view of Jesus and the law? And the reason it becomes relevant for us today, as we um, fast forward from the from first century all the way up to what we call practical application here in the 21st century, the reason it becomes relevant for us today is because those of you who are following along with my commentaries are quite familiar with the common disagreement between traditional Christian, the traditional Christian view of the law, and the now traditional messianic view of the law. 
And what is what is that disagreement? Well, it's it's no secret. It's no secret. Historic Christianity has essentially interpreted the book of Galatians and indeed most of Paul's writings as their interpretation uh, is that Paul is relaxing the law for Gentile Christians primarily and possibly also for, for Jewish Christians as well, although there's, there tends to be some, some uh, disagreement in Christian camps as to whether or not Paul relaxed the Torah uh, relevance for Jewish Christians as well, but but certainly for Gentile Christians, there seems to be the, the general consensus, or what I call the prevailing Christian view, is that Paul would tell the Gentile Christians, you don't have to worry about keeping the Torah anymore. Now that you believe in Jesus, the Torah is essentially been relegated to a bygone era, and you don't have to worry about circumcising your children, you don't have to concern yourself with keeping Seventh-day Sabbath. You don't have to, to ask yourself whether or not you should keep the festivals. You don't have to um, be scrupulous in your choice of what to eat and what not to eat. In other words, according to traditional prevailing Christian interpretations of Paul's writings, which would include Galatians, obviously, um, because the Torah is not applicable to Gentile Christians, Gentile Christians don't have to keep kosher. They can, they're free to eat whatever they ha want. And so the disagreement arises in today's Messianic communities because many people who, who are entering into, in, entering into an understanding of the Bible and Galatians from what we call a Hebraic background or a Hebraic perspective. This would be Gentiles who are coming into a Hebraic understanding of scriptures, and it would also include many Jewish people who were raised with a Hebraic background to the Bible, who then embrace Jesus, become Messianic Jews, I'm such a person, and then come into a Torah community where there are Jews and Gentiles under the same roof who are both embracing Jesus as the Messiah, but at the same time embracing the Torah as a practical way of life. You see, this causes friction because then we have um, we have Torah communities on my right hand um, who are saying we should be keeping kosher, we should be keeping Seventh-day Sabbath, we should be keeping the festivals. And then we have well-meaning Gentile Christian believers over on my left hand, left-hand side here, who are saying, no, we as believers do not need to keep Torah meaning we don't need to keep Sabbath, Seventh-day Sabbath, we don't need to keep the festivals, we don't have to worry about keeping kosher. And both groups, both communities, believe in Jesus, both espouse to faith in Jesus, which is good, and yet both groups use and utilize the writings of Paul as their ammunition, so to say, to fuel their, um, their positions. Isn't that funny? Isn't that odd? that we have two groups both using the same sources but coming to what, what amounts to almost diametrically opposite opinions or interpretations and thus practical applications on the text. So we have Paul saying one thing to the Christians and their application is that we don't have to keep Torah. And we have Paul saying the same thing to the Messianics over on my right side 
and their interpretation and application is, oh yeah, we should still be keeping Torah. So it is my aim to have discussions like this on the book of Galatians and this topic of covenantal nomism so that we can start to go back through history. And I'm not trying to point fingers and saying, aha, see, I'm right and you're wrong. That's, that's not the goal of my study. My goal actually is to sit within the midst of these two great groups that I'm describing, the Christians on my left-hand side and the um, Messianic communities on my right-hand side, who are also Christians, by the way. I just don't call them Christians because of the historical uh, use of the phrase Christian as someone who is not Jewish. But you understand what I'm, where I'm going from, where I'm coming from. My goal is to take a discussion between these two communities, which I believe are both believers, and I, both, I believe they're both well-meaning, and I be, believe they're both sincere, and to sit in the middle and not try to moderate or arbitrate, but rather to join both groups and to be a member of both groups and to foster a greater community, communal bond between the two groups as co-equals in Christ as co-inheritors of the promise of, of Messiah, they're spelled out in the Torah, and watch this, as co-supporters of the covenants that are spelled out to Israel, which would include keeping the Torah for both communities. So, it's my aim to challenge, primarily, when I'm writing my commentaries, it's my aim to challenge primarily the Christian camp over on the left in their stance on Torah. To, to, to challenge seminarians and pastors and those who can read through the Hebrew and the Greek like I can, to challenge them to take a closer look at the historical context behind the writings of Paul and to, to, to give yourself the benefit of the doubt that perhaps maybe the traditional Lutheran view of Paul is a bit misleading in regards to Torah observance, in regards to uh, the um, caricature of the Jewish view of keeping Torah from the first century perspective. Okay, so that's kind of where I'm going with my commentary. So, since I don't have any more time in the live class to um, teach, what I will do is I'm going to uh, give the general dismissal and then I will stop the recording for the live class. But what I will do for those of you who are in the live class, you students who are there, I'm going to go over to the chat section and entertain the questions and answers there. And this is a feature that is um, exclusive to those who attend the live class. So if you'd like to pick my brain on the topic, then you've got to attend the live class where we get a chance to sit and chat. You type in a question or a comment and I'll um, address it right there in the live class for you. And we'll just do that for the next 15, 20 minutes or so that we have uh, while WizIQ uh, webinar is still open. But let me give a general dismissal. And the next week, we'll see if we can start um, unpacking this chapter on covenantal nomism and start talking about the relevance of, of appreciating the importance of Paul's view of Torah, the importance of the first century Jewish community's view of Torah, and taking that interpretation and carrying it over into our practical application as we read through the book of Galatians as 21st century students of the word and trying to come to a better place where we can uh, be led by the Spirit of God via the word of God. Amen. Let me close in prayer. Uh, and those who are in the live class, stay with me 
and I'll entertain the uh, uh, the questions and comments that you've posted in the chat room. Okay, let's pray. Abba, I bless your name, and I thank you for the opportunity to sit before the students and to open the pages of your words and to dive in and to study and to to engage ourselves in the text. Lord, not because I just not because I like to study, which I do. I do like to study the text. But Lord, I seek to study so that I can be pleasing to you because I want to hide your words in my heart because I want to um, continue to um, have my mind renewed by the Spirit, by the washing of the water of the Word uh, because I want to um, be in a position where I can practically apply uh, your words to my life and so that I can be, uh, so I can walk the walk of faith and not just talk it. I want to walk it. So, Lord, uh, help me as I stumble through the text, uh, along with the other students here in this class. I pray that you will be faithful and uh, reveal uh, the understanding to us so that we can make an application. Uh, Father, protect us as a community. Protect us, shield us from the adversary, for he would seek to tear down the work that is being done in this endeavor. And I thank you for the awesome responsibility of being able to sit before the students and uh, explain the text as best as I understand it. And so for that reason, Lord, I will continue to avail myself of your ruach, of your spirit, as I press into the text. Um, be with us as we go this week um, through our uh, daily lives and uh, bring us back together next week so that we can study some more so that we can, uh, what does uh, the book of Timothy say? Study to show ourselves approved unto God, <laughs> workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We'll be careful to give you the praise for all these things, Bishim Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.